Well, we are in week number 10 of Revelation. This is our last week, and I have thoroughly enjoyed this book. And honestly, we could spend 20 or 30 more weeks in this book and not cover everything that John has given to us as he has written. But we're going to look at the last words of the Bible today. Last words are very important. Somebody asked a son about his father who had recently passed on to heaven. And they asked, what were your father's last words? And he said, he didn't have any last words. His mother was with him until the very end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Last words are very important, but the series before this one, we did a series called Famous Last Words. And what we're going to deal with is the summation of this glorious book of the Revelation that we've been in since mid-May. And I trust that this book has been a blessing to you. The Bible says that Revelation is a blessing book. The Bible says if you read it and you heed it, you will be blessed. This is a solemn promise. We come to the end of this book, and John's words are very crisp as he summarizes this book. And they're very concise as God is summing up this book that deals with the doom of the devil, that deals with the destiny of the dead, that deals with the mystery of history, and deals with the triumph of the Lamb, which is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And now we're going to be talking about the last four things that John gives to us at the end of this book. So we're going to begin reading in Revelation chapter 22, verse 6. And it said, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of, the, of this book. Now these are the words of Jesus. These are not my words. These are not even the words of John. Jesus said, look, listen, pay attention, behold, I am coming soon. That is an ironclad promise from Jesus Christ. He keeps going on in verse 8. He says to you, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. Angel's like, no, John, don't do that. Get up. Don't do that. You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. You know, we, what we can learn from this portion of Scripture is God alone is the one to be worshipped. John made an error. You have to think being emotionally caught up with everything that he had seen and experienced through this book, he falls down to worship the angel who brings the message, and the angel's like, yeah, please don't do that. Get up. Please don't do that. And this should be a lesson for us, that we are not to worship anyone or anything but God alone. Not angels, not saints, not Mary, Jesus, God the Father alone are to be worshipped. No one else. Verse 10. And he said to me, 
Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and let the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. He says it again, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I'm calling this portion of scripture really the Bible's last prophecy. We see that the Lord is coming suddenly. Now when he says, behold, I'm coming soon, the word does not mean immediately, but it could be immediate. It means he is coming back suddenly in the snap of a finger. The Bible talks about it in several places as though a twinkling of an eye. None of us know when Jesus is coming. We talked about that in week two. We all know if we believe the Bible that he is coming and your destiny is determined by what you have done on this life. Whether you have decided to follow Jesus and look to him as your Lord and Savior or not. That will determine your eternal destiny. You know, look in, in verse 13, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And if, if he was preaching to this audience today, he would be saying, I am the A to the Z. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first ray of hope in Genesis. And I am the warning, the last warning in the book of Revelation. I am the Alpha and the Omega. All of the Bible is about me. From cover to cover, this book is about Jesus Christ. So I ask you this morning, this has been the theme of this series, do you know Jesus? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? He has said it over and over again, and the pages of this blessed book are filled with prophecies of Jesus' second coming. Don't get the idea that I'm talking about something incidental. I'm talking about a major message of this book. The first part of the book was about his first coming, when he came as a lamb to be shed on a cross for our sins. The second coming, the last half of this book, is his second coming, when he comes as a lion to take us to heaven to be with him and to bring about justice and to conquer the devil and Satan, throw him in the ever, the lake of fire. So we see here this last prophecy. Let's move to the, the second thing we see here is you'll see the Bible's last proposal and that is the sinner's satisfying choice. He pro proposes to you that you can choose him all the way down to the last pages of the bible he says blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood i jesus have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Spirit and the Bible say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. 
And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take water of life without price. This is a saving word. Jesus is saying that whosoever will may come to me. Now you see, and it says there in verses 14 and 15, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life. What he's talking about here is being clean, being white. Have you washed your robes in the blood of the lamb? Here these people say, you see there are only... There's only one way to be saved, and that is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And, and, and there's people that would say there are other ways to heaven. There are other ways up that mountain to which Jesus says here, there's only one way. There's only one. That's through the shed blood of Christ. Come to me. God would have never allowed his darling son to die in agony and blood on the cross if there had been another way. There was, there is no other way whereby men may be saved. This is a saving word, but also we see it as a seeking word. In Revelation twenty-two sixteen, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires to take water of life without price. Church, this is a saving word. If you want salvation from sins, Jesus says, come. Whosoever will may come. Let me ask you, Kind of a difficult question today. Who cares if an unrepentant sinner, if an unrepentant sinner goes to hell? Who cares? I'll tell you who cares. The Lord Jesus cares. Jesus said, I sent a message to the angel, and I said to the angel, give this message to the churches. Tell them, if they would like to be saved, to come to me. The Lord Jesus cares. That's why he stepped out of the glories of heaven and walked the dusty shores of Galilee. That's why he was nailed to a hellish machine called a cross and died in agony and blood. Why? Because with every drop of blood, he is saying, I love you. I want you to be saved. And I'm telling you that if you die and go to hell, you will have to climb over the battered and bruised body of Jesus to get there. Because he has made it absolutely clear in Scripture that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way except through him. But not only does God the Son care, but God the Spirit cares. Look again in verse 17, and the Spirit says, come. The Spirit cares about your soul. The Spirit cares. Who is the Spirit? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Did you know that whenever I speak up here on Sunday mornings, I'm not up here alone. 
I could not do what I do speaking God's word alone. Did you know that the apostle says we are witnesses of these things and so is also the Holy Spirit whom God hath given to them that obey him. I would not stand here and endeavor to preach without the conscience assurance that the Holy Spirit is speaking through me, through God's word. The Spirit says, come, come. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 44, No man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And as you're sitting here this morning listening to the preaching of the word of God, you hear my voice, but there's another voice that's working on your heart, that's convicting your heart of sin, that's showing you the need of a Savior. And that's the Holy Spirit that's saying, come, come. Jesus said in John 16, verse 8, he says, And when he comes, he's speaking of the Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. That is the work of the Spirit. So who cares about unrepentant sinners? Jesus does. The Holy Spirit cares, and the church cares. That's why we're here every Sunday. That's why we share the gospel message, is because we want you to have salvation from sin. And I'll tell you what else. It tells us here that everyone who hears this message should care. It says, let him that hears say, come. When you hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a solemn obligation to share that message. There are simply two words in the Bible that sum up the, our responsibility. One is to come. We must come and accept. And the second is to go. We come, we believe, we go, and we tell the world around us. The Bible's last proposal is to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus Bible says in Revelation 22:17, and if you are thirsty, just come. Whoever's a thirst, let him come and take of the water of life freely, drink of the water of life. You know, isn't that wonderful to think? You know, we can understand here in Florida, especially when you're outside doing some sports outside or you're outside doing yard work and how thirsty you get. And I was just like, oh, I can't wait till I can get to where I can get some cold water and how refreshing that is from a physical standpoint. When we come to Jesus spiritually, it's so refreshing. Like that cold water, he says, come, take and drink. That's why I call this a satisfying proposal. You'll never have your deepest heart thirst satisfied until you are satisfied in Jesus. And if you are thirsty, he says, come and drink, and he will save you and promise you on the authority of the word of God. Let's see the, the third thing this morning on this last, the Bible's last prohibition. And this is the scripture's sinful revision. The Bible prohibits anybody 
from revising the Holy Scriptures. If you'll look in Revelation 22, 18 and 19, he says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. He's saying, don't change it. I gave to John exactly what I wanted you to know. Do not try to make the Bible politically correct, as many try doing today. The urge is to revise the Bible to fit the times. And it's as old as the Garden of Eden when the serpent came to Eve and said, Did God really say? Did God really say? Putting that question in the heart of Eve, people do the same thing today. Does God really, does God's word really say that? Anybody who puts a question mark after the word of God is doing the work of the devil. Never forget that. Going back up to Revelation 22, verse 6, it says, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. These sayings are faithful and true, is another way of saying it. Now he said, that's the reason you don't add to them. You don't take away from them because they are trustworthy. This is absolute truth. Jesus is trustworthy and true. Don't add to this book. It is complete. There are 66 individual books that make up this Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. Do not change it. Do not add to it. Do not take it away. We do not need the Book of Mormon because we have the Word of God. We do not need the Quran because we have the Word of God. It is settled. It is sealed. It is fixed. Do not dilute it. You can put down as well Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. It says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. It's pretty strong words. Last, let me tell you the fourth, the final thing we come to in this final book, the final chapter, the Bible's last prayer. We've talked about the Bible's last prophecy. We've talked about the Bible's last proposal, the last prohibition. Now here's the Bible's last prayer. What is it? Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. That's the third time he says in this passage, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. Do you think he wanted us to get something? <laughs> the last words he gives to us in all of the Bible, he's telling us, he's telling us something. He is coming. Now, can you imagine John on this little isle of Patmos? He's been persecuted. He was boiled alive. He's been abused. He's there lonely. The Lord Jesus appears to him. He said, John, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And I want you to write it down. 
I'm going to reveal to you the future. I want you to sit down and listen to this. And then all the glories, all of the warnings, all of the intrigue of the great book of Revelation unfolds before John, and John goes through all of these things, and he hears these things, and the Spirit of God is moving in his heart, and he reads about all of these things, and then he gets down here to the end. And he sees there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And he says, John, listen, 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 John, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. All that you've seen and heard, it's, hap- it's going to happen. I'm coming. And John at the end said, Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I can just imagine John sitting there on the rock on this island, like clapping his hands with joy, thinking about the joys of the new heaven and the new earth that he has just seen. Do you long for Jesus to come? You ought to. If you, have a, if you are a Christian with a heart beating in your chest, if you know what is going to transpire when Jesus comes, you see, that's the reason why the Bible calls his coming the blessed hope. That's why we've titled this series, Why Hope? Why Hope? You know, there are a lot of people in this world that have no hope. No hope at all. Their medicine is getting more expensive, their body is getting sicker, they're filled with a venom and a resentment, and they're looking forward to dying and rotting in the ground, hopeless. They have no hope. There are some people who have no hope. There are others. There are some who have a false hope. They put their hope in things that are not true. They do not have the witness of the Holy Spirit that we have. They have a false hope. And there are some who have an uncertain hope. There may be some here today, you're saying, well, Pastor Robert, I hope what you're saying or what you've said over the last 10 weeks is true. It sounds good, which I'd say, oh no, oh no, friend. Hope in the Bible doesn't mean maybe or perhaps. The Bible word hope means it is a rock-ribbed assurance that it is going to happen. But it means even more than that. It means a rock-ribbed assurance based on the word of God enjoined with anticipation. That's why this book is called The Blessed Hope. The second coming of Jesus is our blessed hope. This hope is a unifying hope. It unifies us as a church It's unifying because we as a church are not only anticipating his return, but we are working together to tell the world about this blessed hope. We are working together to reach our community with this blessed hope. We have a unifying mission. We are working together for this hope. Now, I cannot tell you every certain detail, but I can tell you, I know as sure as I'm standing here that blessed Jesus who's gone up to glory, he will come again. He will. 
Dr. R.G. Lee was a man who grew up on a farm as a sharecropper in South Carolina. Through hard work and studies, he went to college and eventually graduated from the University of Chicago with a doctorate in international law. God called this man to become a pastor. And Dr. Lee later became the pastor of the storied Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. And he pastored this church from 1927 to 1960. And he tells this story about the last verse of the Bible. He said, when I was a little boy, we were raised on a farm. I was on the front porch of that farmhouse and all the people had gone to town except for me and my mother. My mother was sitting there on the porch in a rocking chair and I was on the floor with my head in my hands. I looked up at my mother's hands, they were hard and warm. I said, Mama, tell me the happiest moment of your life. I thought perhaps she would tell me of the moment when my daddy, a tall six foot with dark eyes, expressed his love to her. But she didn't tell me that. Or I thought perhaps she would tell me of the time when the moon spread over the little farm and there by the fence gate he asked her to be his bride. But she didn't tell me that. And I thought, well, perhaps she would tell me about the time in that cabin in the corner of that little farm where they expressed their vows one to another and kept those vows for over 50 years until my daddy went to heaven. But she didn't tell me that. She said, son... You've asked a hard question. In the Civil War between the states, those were hard times. All the men went off to war. We got our salt from the smokehouse floor. We got our tea from sassafras leaves. We made a substitute coffee from corn. It was hard. All the men had gone and the women did the work. And then we received word that my daddy, your grandfather Bennett, had been killed in the war. Dr. Lee said, my mother said that her mother didn't cry much out loud, but at nighttime I could hear my mama sobbing in her pillow. Those were hard times. And then Dr. Lee's mother said, one day my mother was sitting on the porch very much like this and I was sitting at her feet, very much like you're sitting at my feet. And my mother had a bowl of beans in her lap, and she was stringing those beans and snapping them. And a figure appeared over across the field, and she said to me, Elizabeth, honey, that man walks like your daddy. She kept on snapping those beans. And after a while, she said, Elizabeth, honey, that man looks like your daddy. And I said to my mama, now mama, don't get all excited. You know daddy's dead, don't get excited. About that time. That figure came and started across the cotton field. And my mother said, Elizabeth, that is your daddy. She threw those beans in the air, gathered up her skirt, and ran across that field. Elizabeth said, my daddy had lost an arm in the war, but he was alive. 
He had his sleeve pinned up. My mother met him. He put that other arm around her arm, and they kissed and hugged and, ha and laughed. She said, I ran my finger up his sleeve and felt that funny little nub. She said, son, I believe that was the happiest day of my life. Then Dr. Lee said, that day will pale into insignificance when Jesus comes. When the Lord comes, when he splits the blue sky open and he comes, that day will be the greatest day. That's why John finishes this book with the words, Come, Lord Jesus. Come. He has seen the glories. He knows how marvelous that day will be. And he's saying, Come, Jesus. Let's pray.